millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Let's Get Fiscal, a money podcast from 7 News. It's our final episode for the first season, Gemma. Hello. God, how did that happen so quickly? Oh, we, we've just gone straight through it. We did. Well, we're glad our listeners did too. Thank you for, for sticking with us. And uh, it's great to see our audience growing every week. So we really appreciate it. Now, we thought a great way to go out with a bang for our first season was to have a very special guest and a member of the Channel 7 family and TV royalty. Can you guess who it is? I'm speaking about none other than the host of the morning show and the Chase Australia, Larry Emdar. Oh, oh, you couldn't find someone to go with the big bang. So you got me. Everyone's busy. Hi, guys. Everyone's on holidays or they have COVID, so thank you for stepping in, Larry. And when I say TV royalty, I mean the court jester, of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Hi, guys. Um, Now, the the whole reason you're here is... um, you got a book out this month called Happy As Stories of Summer, Family and the Magic Childhood. And we'll come back to that at mo- uh, in a moment. But being a finance podcast, we did want to know, um, we want to know your annual salary and can we be your dependents? Yeah, that's um, right. Well, I, I get paid in Bitcoin oh, okay. uh, directly to a little thing I've got set up over in Panama. So I'm bound contractually not to uh, not to tell you too much about that. And now you're broke, so. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> so right. you want us to pay you for being on the show. Yeah, we can yeah, organise yeah, yeah. that afterwards. There's an appearance fee, right? <laughs> being TV royalty and everything. That's okay. We're dealing Dogecoin, so sorry. <laughs> you got nothing. Uh, of course we kid, but um, we thought we'd talk about your career to start with. What was your first paid job and do you remember how much you made? Like, Yeah, yeah. So um, my very first paid job was as a copy boy at The Sun newspaper, which was a – it was uh, then with the Sydney Morning Herald. It was a Fairfax paper many, many years ago. And I found – we recently moved house and I found the old box with old bits of stuff in it. No. And in there was my first pay slip and it was $89 for the week. It was an overnight shift for 40 – so it was just over $2 an hour working wow. overnight. Yeah, you, yeah. Seriously, you never did an unpaid internship. You went straight into a paid job in media. That's pretty good. Sorry, you asking about my first paid job. Oh, That's, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you've done, you've done some. There was, I was a paper boy before that for uh, $2.50 and a can of Coke uh, on a Sunday morning. But um, that was the first, yeah, that was the first paid gig. So yeah. media all the way. All the way. That's all the way, but not, But with no great intention or no great desire to be in the media. I just wanted to surf. I was a surfer. So, <laughs> so I got this job working overnight. Um, and it was fantastic. I'd come home at six in the morning and go surfing all day. So it, it, all the other copy boys and copy girls were there to get a, a leg up into one day becoming a cadet uh, journalist and then going on to journalism. Uh, but I didn't have that dream. Humble beginnings. Humble endings too. 
<laughs> That's not true. Um, now, this is on Wikipedia, so I've got to check if it's true. Were you reading national news bulletins at 17? No. So we clear this up in the book. <laughs> cool. We clear this up in the book. This is important. So it was 19, it was no, 19 years old. Enough. But what happened? It's, it's not, not bad. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not, but it was overnight as well. So this is all in the book because, uh, and, and we, you know, I, I had a lot of fun writing about how all these stories evolved over the years. And it is actually quite interesting that when I started on a show called um, Good Morning Australia back in 1988, um, the story came out that I was the um, – I started in the media when I was 17, which I did at the Sun newspaper, but the sentence went on. I started. He started in the media at 17 and became Australia's youngest newsreader. So both of those things are true, true. independently, <laughs> but they're not the same sentence. <laughs> but from there, I couldn't put the genie back in the bottle, and from there everything that's ever been written about me, including – now, 2022, that I started reading the news when I was 17. Do you know, I don't think that's a terrible rumour. I really wouldn't mind if someone well, said, uh, you know, I, I started reading the national news yeah, at 17. I mean, I gave up on it. I gave up defending it because it was just all the time. So I was like, yeah, of course. I, I think I was 15. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, of course, of course. I just went along with it. I, I learned that once. If you read it online, make sure you check it because I once said to Vanessa Marosti, so you were discovered in a karaoke bar and she said, no. Yeah, yeah. That was embarrassing. So well, I'll make on, sure I check those. Well, things. on Wikipedia, <laughs> I've died twice as well. So, <laughs> well, I mean, that's always a good way to gauge your popularity. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> if you trend, you know you're popular. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, Larry, you say that uh, you didn't really have much of a career plan when you started no. out. Did it all evolve naturally, or did you suddenly at some point think, "Hang on, I really want to, for instance, go after game shows or news or, or morning show"? Or yeah, no, else? it was it was all it was all more ass than class. Completely, <laughs> really was. I, I never set out. On that path, um, it just kind of happened one thing after the other, and the book is a lot about that. It's about this sort of happy accident, and and one door opening, one door clo- five doors closing, and one door I fell into that door on my way somewhere else. Um, so it's a lot about that. I never had that, and I don't think. I, I think it's it's um, difficult to be ambitious in the media because rarely are you the captain of the ship. Rarely, um, I, I couldn't say to you now in five years' time. I want to host my own Tonight Show because that's not the way the media works. It's not the way we work. I have friends who started out as lawyers and dentists and carpenters when we were 16 years old and that was their path. That was their career and they work their way through that and they become better at it and they move up the ladder. You can't do that in TV. And if you do, it's very often, more often than not, not by your own choosing. Yeah, things things move very quickly in media, particularly at the moment. And you live and die by the ratings. Absolutely. So I've never been able to make any solid plans beyond a contract. And some of my contracts have been for three episodes. So I'm married with kids and a mortgage and I'm signing a contract for three episodes of a show. And that, so it, you, you become quite nimble, Yeah, you know. Absolutely. Uh, on that note, was there ever a point in your, your life or your career when you thought, what am I doing? Uh, I need more security. A lot of people hit that paid phase when they do get married and do start having yes, children. Yes, a- absolutely. And, and I'd learnt before Sylvie came along that – I couldn't rely on the media ever, ever. It was fun and I was really having a great time, but it's unreliable. So that's where I started to do other things. I was getting into property very early. Um, I was doing a lot of corporate work very early. So there are times where um, I've been, I mean, I don't know what the current thing, unemployed or between jobs, and that was okay because I actually had that structure behind me where I wasn't totally reliant on television, which has given me in 40 years in the business, um, um, a relaxing pathway through with all the ups and downs where I haven't felt crushed every time I've lost a job. 
In fact, there was a time there where we used to get things called redundancy payments. I don't think mm. they happen anymore. <laughs> every amazing. time you get axed, every time you get axed, they give you a whole bunch of money. And while my friends would go around Europe for a year, I'd go and put a deposit on a unit. You know, so I was the kid up the back when the axings were coming, going, "Yes, right, <laughs> <laughs> right." But I learned early, like you can, and still to this day, you know, I, I, we have contracts uh, that go for six months or a year or two, but I can't make a plan beyond that. Uh, I think the technical term is fun employed for the people who yeah, take the redundancy payment with them. Um, but tell us a bit about the property investing because that's something certainly um, a lot of people who are sensible with their money have, have done over the years or want yeah. to do. And you started quite young. Really young. And and I, I was living in Bondi. I grew up in Bondi. So it, more ass than class, right? But I was, <laughs> I was blessed to be, I'm in that suburb. And who knew? We didn't know that Bondi would become the hottest property spot in Australia um, so I was investing in I, the first, I, I bought. I was looking around for a unit with um, a balcony and a car park, um, and I knew what they were worth. And I was looking around, and I saw that they'd converted an old hotel, um, and uh, and and they were selling them quite cheap. From what I, I I was looking at them, going, this is really cheap. But they hadn't valued them properly. Some valuer from the western suburbs had gone, oh, per square meter, and this and this with this window. So they'd undervalued them significantly. And the deal was on that day, it was their big open weekend, that you could leave a $500 deposit to secure the property. So, and I knew they were very cheap. So I put two $500 down for two units. Wow. Could you imagine <laughs> but, but these how, days? But, when see, was this roughly? Oh, my gosh. That was, Not to age you, Larry. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I reckon probably 1989. Wow. Now, what had happened in the ensuing 48 hours was that they'd, re, they'd seen that they'd made a huge mistake. So when I went back with my mum and dad to show them this new unit, and I'd only put down $500, which at the time, I mean, that was a, you know, was I, a lot of money. I, I didn't yeah. have that. Um, uh, but no bank, I didn't have any bank loan, anything, yeah. anything. Um, I took mum and dad back and the, the, the guy who was running the campaign, the agent, met me at the front and he said, look, Mr. Emder, we've made this huge mistake. Um, I'll give you $5,000 now each for those units to, to hand them back. I went, no, I, I knew they were fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 undervalued. So mm. it was just arsy. I was a kid. It was just arsy. But what it meant, I could go to the bank then and t- get that equity that was the difference in 24 hours um, and go again. So, But it was different times. Like you, could, you can't do that now. I was just very, very lucky. Although when you say that, it was different times. And one of the things was interest rates. I remember one of the first times we talked on the morning show about interest rates, you Mm. said back in the day when you got your first one, it was not around the 2% now that's crippling people. 19%. Wow. So I had no history with them and with the bank for mortgage. Um, And the going rate was 17.5% probably, 17%. But because it was like, a, I suppose, a no-doc kind of thing or with no history, so I was penalised to that extra 19%. Yeah. Um, so now when I see one and two percent, I'm like, oh wow, happy days. <laughs> Where to from there? Like you've got these two units. Where do you go to from there? Well, then I went. To, so they were that was always an investment sort of thing for me. Yep. Um, it cost me nothing. It cost me five hundred dollars because the bank borrowed the whole month. Like it was, yeah. you know. So it's very different times. Like so it was easy then. So what I did then, I um, looked at the equity in those units, which materialized literally in 24, 48 hours because they'd made this huge mistake. And I looked at that money and what I could do with that money, the difference. And then when I found my dream unit, uh, I um, 
drank a bottle of wild turkey <laughs> and went up and bid at auction on that. Um, and also again, in Bondi? Also Bondi. So, I'm, again, I'm very lucky that all that activity happened early and, and was, I, was, I grew up in Bondi. If I grew up somewhere else, if I was purchasing in those other areas that didn't fly off the handle. But now those Bondi properties are crazy. So you've done pretty well off the back of starting young. Uh, in terms of, you set yourself up pretty well in your early yeah. 20s by the sounds of things. You're mm. in a position where you ha- own property, you've got paid work. Was your instinct to think, great, you know, I'm going to drink champagne every night and go on fancy no. holidays, or was it thinking a bit further ahead and thinking, you know, one day I would like to have a family and, God forbid, super at one point. I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> super what? what? Yeah. Um, it, it wasn't planning that far ahead. It wasn't going uh, on the family and the mortgage, but it was like, hey, that was fun. That was easy. I was drawn to that and I thought, you know, maybe I can just do that every now and again because with each new property it became easier to transact. The bank, you got a history with the bank and it was all right and there's equity building as the Bondi markets wasn't exploding at that point but certainly going up. So I think there was more – it was more – Oh, and I was de- I'd started in the media, and I was starting to see okay, my property's going up, and everything's going well here. And gee, I just lost my job after four weeks in the TV show, so I focused on that. I focused on that. I got to know all the agents very well. I was going to inspections every week. I was, it was, it was I saw it as a job, and I could see more growth in that than in my main job. And in the meantime, you probably got friends who are taking very stable career paths. Yes. And so you're always on your toes. I, th- I think in some ways it was very modern. Like you see a lot of people these days take more portfolio careers where they're earning a bit of income from different places mm. and not relying too solidly on one thing. But yeah, I, I, that would have yeah. been quite more novel at the time probably. It was, not, it was that. It was that. And I wasn't – I mean I was kicked out of school early. Like I wasn't the sharpest – and I'm not – the sharpest <laughs> oh, tool in on. the shed. You know, so it's Pretty just, impressed by your investing. So say, you've done better than but me. But it was more uh, – I've just got to keep going back to it. It was just – I was doing – for fun, like it was, I, I couldn't do it now with these circumstances now, and the deposit you need now, and the interest, the way everything works, and the structure, and what the bank needs from it. Wasn't that? It was like I, I handed over two checks for five hundred dollars, and I got two apartments in Bondi. But I think different different times throw up different opportunities, and that was a good opportunity at the time. So yes. these days, those opportunities might not exist, but there will be other ones. And at the same time, you you're still managing this TV career as well because you've kind of made that move into the game shows, and I remember the main event. Yeah. Um, you know, here on Seven. Uh, and then I think probably the role that is most synonymous with you is The Price is Right. Yeah. Did you ever think that was going to be such a massive phenomenon? No, no. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. And it was just fun. It was just – It was. Uh, it's a lot about it in the book, about how yeah. it just – it wasn't even a job. It was just like going to the circus. It was so fun. I feel like everyone from that era, like that 90s era who grew up – just has the fondest memories of switching on and watching you um, and, and all those people just win prizes. And it was just good memories. I have a little anecdote, which I, I've shared with you, Larry, but um, I, I was in Melbourne as a child and watched The Price is Right. Went overseas for 18 years as soon as I finished high school, got back. And one of the first things I did when I got back was go straight onto the morning show at Channel 7. And I didn't even have a chance to check who the hosts were. And I sat down thought, oh, no, I haven't checked the host names. I looked up, I thought... There's no way is that Larry Emder from The Price is Right. <laughs> I was like, it's got to be. That's great. But no, you're, you're absolutely right. It made a tremendous impression to remember it two decades later just in a flash. Do you know what is fun? It was fun. It was fun. And I think and we don't have a lot of that anymore. Yeah. Actually, you yeah. Know, we, we, we don't. It was wholesome. And there was something really 
basic about it too, looking back at it. Uh, it wasn't high tech. It, wasn't, it was just people having a great time. Yeah. And maybe winning prizes they wanted and maybe winning prizes they didn't want, uh, which was always the best TV, of course. So, um, But I had no idea the impact that would have until now. Yeah. Until now, until people are coming up to me still to that most days, most almost every day. Say, so, oh, I used to watch that show with my grandmother and my, <laughs> my come on down. Yeah, come on down. And if, 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 I, if I finish my homework, I could do this. And always used to go around to, you know, the, everyone's got these stories. And I think, well, it was really high impact as a TV show. And, and, and I suppose that's a wonderful thing to be able to be involved with where people remember it, but remember it fondly because it can go either way in the media. Yeah. When you're involved with something over a long period of time, um, do you think. I don't know how long this will last. Like, do you appreciate yeah, every moment or absolutely. do you? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And, and Price is Right's history was very much, um, we'll get it up there, it'll make a lot of noise, we'll give away a lot of prize, then we rest it and it comes back again. So my career at that point was really up and down. But I was always the Price is Right guy. So even when I wasn't the Price is Right guy, I was still the Price is <laughs> Right guy. You know, so, um, but, but yeah, I mean, just going back to what we started with, you know, I've never been able to rely on, on this ever, ever. And, uh, and Price is Right was a good example and an interesting example because big show, huge success, lots of noise about it. Oh, sorry, we're axing it now. Like, whoa, what? <laughs> How did that happen? So it's Tell an interesting thing. being on a show when it's axed. It's really interesting. A lot of people would never have to go through that, but it must be enormously emotional. It's, it's really heavy. Uh, you know, I'm good at it now. I actually <laughs> am. I, no, I'm the most axed guy in TV. <laughs> no. I am. That's a Guinness Book of World Records type. Do I, maybe. Okay, you should ask. You should I've ask. Ho- I've hosted more shows on more networks than anyone else, which means I've been axed more than anyone else, I suppose. <laughs> but I love it because it's all good experience, right? So each each crappy show just gives me more experience for the next show. So I actually wear them as sort of badges of honour, if you like. But being axed on TV is, is an interesting concept because it's happening very much uh, in the public eye. Um uh, when when shows are going well, it's the producers and the network go look at look at us, aren't we great? And then when you get axed, it's Emda axed. You know, it's not it's, <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. your show. All of us, yeah. like, hang on, it was the network show last yes, last month. Very true. Um, but um, it, it's it's difficult. It's it was difficult early um, because I took it all very personally, and now I don't. Now I don't. I'm like, okay, well, there, there are market forces at play that I have no control over and no understanding of, you know. So it's a, it's a ratings thing. It's a scoring thing. It's a um, uh, it's a, uh, it, uh, the, the, the profits and losses and all those sorts of things. No, i got no idea and, and I don't want to know. But um, I used to, of course, take it very seriously and you'd get axed and be on the front page of the Sunday paper, M to axed. Um, so that's a lot, you know, that was a lot. And one thing I love about you is that you're so open about talking about it and wearing it as a badge of honour, as you say, and joking about those times. Well, what do you do? I mean, well, exactly. I, I feel so, I mean, having been axed so much, I also feel <laughs> blessed that I've been involved in so many shows. Yeah. And, and the yeah. complete opposite of that is The Morning Show, which yeah. has just celebrated 15 years, yeah. which has got to be a record for you, I'd imagine, for your longest uh, 100%. job. 100%. Um, <laughs> probably for it's Channel cruel. 7 as well. It's pretty, so. it's pretty cruel, but yeah, go on. <laughs> well, I was, so what keeps you coming back to that? And I Kylie, your, your, your partner, what keeps her coming back? <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's right. How, how can she do it? Um, morning show's an easy one. You know, it really is. Um, and I've had complicated shows and shows where you're really going to bung it on. But morning show's an easy one to come in each day and do. And mainly that's because, and you know, Jimmy, you sat there. It's, um, it, it's, it, it's interesting. Every segment is completely different to the last and every day is completely different to the day before. Um, and that's a nice way to do a job. 
I mean, I've got a mate who's a dental technician and just every day is just looking down old people's throats. <laughs> yeah, like this is a fun job. This is fun. It's it's. Um, I don't want to say it's not a job because I want to renegotiate. It is a job. <laughs> but um, that this is an easy one to, to keep coming back to. I love this. I love this show. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Do you think audiences have evolved over the 15 years? 100%. And, and how do you make sure you can keep up with them and, and make sure you're giving them what they want? Yeah, it's really inter- – it is such an interesting – not only a question but a dilemma for us all because my kids are 28 and 22 uh, – 23 and neither of them would have ever watched free-to-air TV since oh, – I, I, I don't want to say 10 or 15 years. but And that's ironic given their dad works in it. Well, that's – Probably why. <laughs> but, you sit down yeah, and watch. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But, you know, this is a dilemma for us all who work in free-to-air TV and broadcasting generally, that this is not how people and generations in the future will get their information and their stories and their entertainment. I went to the uh, Cannes um, Film Festival or TV Festival many, many years ago to look for, you know, what's come. I was, I was in between jobs and I thought, I don't know how to make TV. I'll go and buy a little TV format and I'll make it for Australia. That's how cocky I was. Um, but over there they were talking, and this was it was before morning show, so it must have been 17, maybe 18 years ago, and they were talking about the big production companies were, and the big networks, only presenters with shows are deliverable on handheld devices. Yeah, back then. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what are you saying? Are you saying people will sit and watch TV on a phone mm. or on a laptop? You're crazy. But that's what's <laughs> that was so ahead of its time. But I didn't understand that concept as a TV diehard. Yeah. But that's where it is. Yeah. And and with all those new platforms, um, what keeps morning show relevant? I don't know. I guess I guess we just try and look at stuff that's going on in people's lives, stuff that's affecting them day to day, and stuff that will entertain them. And entertainment's the same. We want to laugh. We want to have a light moment in our days, particularly in the last few years. My gosh. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think that's I think that's the key. And there was really lightning in a bottle with you and Kylie because, I mean, you'd largely been untested at the time. Like yeah. You had different careers. How did you find coming together for that show? Look, I think we're both reasonable people. Or I can speak, I am. <laughs> um, and, no, look, what, what, what we both shared was from the moment we sat down because I was auditioning with a whole bunch of other people. and um, But from the moment Kylie sat down, we, we laughed we, we got each other, you know, and, and we have, we've never ungot each other. And there's something about that. And there's also the conflict and any great book or great movie, conflict drives. So what I love about our relationship is it actually can survive the tsunamis of conflict that we have, yeah. which, which are entertaining. So, yeah. so I don't like the Kardashians and Kylie loves the Kardashians. And I don't like Bridgerton, and Kylie loves Bridgerton. I'm with and you. So, so these, but these conversations played out in real time between two real people, and I hear this a lot. People will come up to me and go, you, you and Kylie are like me and my husband. <laughs> or my, you know, he never listens to me, and I want to go to the movies and watch this, and he doesn't want to go with me, and, and, and vice versa. So people are looking at our relationship and going, that's, 
You know, he's lazy. He doesn't listen. Believable. She knows everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's authentic. It's yeah. an authentic relationship. Um, people often call it a TV marriage. I think that's true. Um, we don't get on a lot of the time, but I think that makes good TV. And also I, th- I think a great part of it too is you guys play around a lot. You ad-lib a lot. People probably assume that a lot of that is put on or scripted, but having been here and having been in the studio, it's not. It's yeah. just There's a, it's, it's, it's an interesting relationship because it is, uh, it's quite slick. And that comes with fifteen years of her nagging me, but but it is it, it we are able to navigate uh, anything that's put in front of us. So people sometimes, and we're lucky that we can do that from an ad living perspective. Mm. But sometimes people look at that and go, "Well, that that, that was written or that was yeah. produced because it happened like that." But it was just us. Being goose. <laughs> when I had the, the opportunity to host Morning Show with you the other day, my dad called me very excited and said, does this mean you get to host The Chase with, yes, with Larry right. soon too? Yeah, because right. he loves that show. Uh-huh. And I said, oh, Dad, I'm afraid not yet. But, <laughs> but talk to us about doing both because, first of all, it's a big time commitment, but it's also two yeah. very different Larrys you need to be. Yeah, different audiences, really different is. formats, I, different yeah, guests on the show. It really is. And I've, I've always tried to be authentic with what I do. I've tried because I can't act. So... Um, but they are—they are. You're right. They're two different Larrys. The morning show Larry's kind of goofy and kind of stupid, and the chase Larry is still kind of stupid, struggling to say big words quickly. So, <laughs> but the essence of the chase I love—the contestants and the contestants' journey and being there with them and in that moment. But um, it does represent some struggles. I was out of school very early. Reading's not my thing. Big words aren't my thing. I don't have other languages. And in any chase fast money section. Cash builder section, there'll be Italian words and Chinese words and Latin words. And it's not, you know, I struggled with it early. Um, I did. I'm getting there now. A great team supporting me. but And is that the point of saying yes to opportunities, even if you might be a bit intimidated by them initially? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I've done a lot of that in this career. Not early, but as I sort of matured and thought, what the hell, I'll take the chance. Because so, something like, a good example is um, Celebrity Splash, Right. Or no, better one, sorry. A show called Cash Bonanza on Channel 9. I remember that. Right. <laughs> many, many years ago. It, it looked horrible on paper. <laughs> but the thing, as I read it, the thing that stood out to me was filmed as live in front of an audience of 2,000 people. Now, as a host, to have that opportunity, forget everything else about the show, but I'm going to be the host that can do a show li- as live in front of 2,000 people. Fun. Like, yeah. that's an opportunity it that... Is. I don't know how many hosts you talk to, but there's not... Not many have that experience. Maybe at the Idol Grand Final or mm. something like that. But I was doing it week in, week out. And it makes you strong from a host perspective. And on the back of that, I can come, the network can look at me and go, well, he can manage a big crowd. So I was doing things just to chalk up little bits like that that wouldn't necessarily make sense on a CV or a career path. <laughs> <laughs> but, I could, but I could look at it and go, Okay, I can host a show in front of 2,000 people. Yeah. I'm better than the guy or the girl that can't. Right. Adding strings to your bow as you go yeah. along. Excellent. Flip side of that is your approach to write a book, to you know, tell everyone your story. What do you say to that? I've been thinking about it for a while because I do a lot of uh, corporate speaking, a lot of keynote speeches. I thought, I've got a hundred of these really silly little, stupid little funny TV stories. I should just put them all together. And then it was 40 years in the business this year. And as that was sort of looming, my boss upstairs, Sarah Stinson, said, yeah, you should write a book for you at 40th. And I'm like, I'm not a writer and I'm not a reader. I don't, Because I was out of school early with very low comprehension skills, reading is actually difficult for me. Um, I've never 
been able to read a book because I get 10 pages in and I have to go back and see what the character's name is and all this sort of stuff. So I've never enjoyed reading. I've never read books. But I thought I can put all these stupid little stories together and someone I can make a book out of them. And um, we approached uh, all of the, all the publishers. Um, HarperCollins came back and they wanted to see something. So I wrote them a story about an old watch that I found uh, of my dad's. And it was more nostalgic than the silly TV stories. And they knew the stories I wanted to write. But they, the feedback from this watch story was, we need those stories now. The, the pandemic has stolen all our sunshine and we need to look back and, and feel happy again uh, before devices and before the internet and before bullying, social media bullying and everything. Mm. So I started to write more and more of these stories and the book is essentially me growing up. So I turned into this sort of TV whodunit <laughs> <laughs> who stayed last at the Logos with their underpants on their head into this growing up in Bondi and a lot of TV stories still in there, a lot of career stories still in there, but they're all anchored in this nostalgia in, and, and allows us to look back and, and hopefully have a bit of a smile. And the Logie story is always Carl anyway. So. It's always Carl. <laughs> I've changed his name. Spoiler alert, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry But that, that. But, you know, that was the essence of the book. And, yeah. as, and I thought, while well, the TV stories are funny, it's actually – I loved where I grew up. I loved where I grew up. And uh, there's lots of great stories around Bondi. And, and the opening chapter is about me standing over the kiddies' pool at North Bondi and just looking where, where we used to splash around as kids. And what was happening, sitting on the – bench where we probably mum and dad used to probably sit while I was swimming with my sisters in that pool but mum and dad and two kids and they're all on their devices you know sitting mm. by the pool and and I remember those days all I remember is laughing and splashing and mum and dad yelling out and jump off the wall you know into the surf again and, and so it was sad it was a sad sight it was weird to look at that and I thought it'd be nice to look back yeah reflect reflect yeah and Larry, we are going to finish up with a, a quick fire round of questions. <laughs> and I don't actually know if Damien gave you any heads up about no, these. But, no, um, no, but we no. know that you're quick on your toes, as Damien said. You do a lot of ad-libbing on your show. <laughs> so we're not afraid <laughs> of, of how you'll perform. Um, sort of whatever comes to mind, we've got four questions here. The first thing is, what is the worst or most embarrassing thing you've ever done for a paycheck? There are so many shows that I've hosted. <laughs> um, I sh- we shouldn't have said just one. Just yeah, one. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say Dancing with the Stars. Uh, well, there's a couple. I'm going to say Celebrity Dog School as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do love – I think your Instagram profile says you're the only person on Dancing with the Stars who hadn't been on a journey. Yes, quite I'm the only person to never say journey. <laughs> That's good. It's gone proud of that. <laughs> Nicely done. Uh, is there a role or a job that you've been offered that you turned down over the years? Yes. Th- yeah, 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 plenty. But um, more lately, because in the early days I just said yes to everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just said yes to everything. Uh, and then when Sylvie came along uh, and we got married, then she had more of a creative input into the sort of things that I would be doing. <laughs> that's so, right. so I <laughs> That's why people uh, call their wives their better halves. Yeah, that, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, was there a job you've always wanted? I always, always had a love of um, the late night shows, mm. the tonight shows, the talk shows. I was mm. such a super fan of that genre. And I used to host, uh, I used to fill in for Daryl Summers on Hey Hey, and I used to, fi- uh, occasionally, and I used to fill in for Steve Vizard on um, Tonight Live. Uh, and they were fun shows to do. They were fun shows. But I have to say, now with the morning show, 
I have to go, this is the, like, I think it's the best. It's like a Tonight Show in the morning, like yeah, a radio show say, on yeah. TV. It's, it's pretty like cool. So, um, but always back in the day, I would look, oh, I just want to be on, have a Tonight Show. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, final one. You've been on all three commercial networks. Which was the best to work for? Well, I'd have to say the Seven Network of Australia. Hear that, James? Got that, James? <laughs> Without a doubt, the Seven Network of Australia. And Larry didn't even know that question was coming. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that said, though, like you've probably been here the longest. No, absolutely. Um, uh, most of my great TV memories are here. I started at Seven. I started as a kid reporter in the newsroom at Epping. Uh, then uh, went to Channel Ten, came back to do the main event, and I've been back. I've been round and round and round and round we go. And then, of course, as you rightly pointed out, the morning show is probably my great career tick you know so i've been here for the longest it's been the longest chapter of my career price is right made a brief comeback have we ever thought about bringing back the main event I, <laughs> well all those shows all those shows that i i ruined over the years you could happily bring the main back. event i think was great Agro you still have around. mentioned it quite a few times <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> he clearly made a big impression uh, david yeah. uh, look uh, larry it's been such a pleasure and an honor to chat to oh, you, thank you guys. and to work with you uh, yeah because thank you. Uh, and i don't want to say we grew up with you because we did, but having <laughs> having to work with you as well, it's it's so amazing to hear some of these stories and dig a little deeper behind you. So thank you for joining us. Um, the book is out now. It's called Happy As, Stories of Summer, Family and the Magic of Childhood. And, of course, Larry is back on The Morning Show and The Chase Australia. It's all over the place. Larry, thanks again for joining <laughs> too us. Too much, Larry. Were you it's ever tempted <laughs> to call it Come On Down? Never. Your book. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. A working title, maybe. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us oh, today. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.